with Benjamin Denton and John Hinton. And we're coming at you live from the WKNC studios on the beautiful, awesome, amazing, fantastic campus of North Carolina State University on 88.1 WKNC HD1 FM, Raleigh. Benjamin Denton, and I am absolutely stoked, thrilled, ecstatic to be coming at you live on one of the premier college radio stations in the nation, keeping you up to date with the latest and the greatest with all of NC State sports. What's up, y'all? John is not here today. He wasn't able to make the show, and it's going to be just me steering the ship for this show today so we might not go the full hour because i cannot i don't know if i can talk that long but i mean i have heard from people that know me i can talk an incredibly long time so we'll see as far as what's on the docket for today's show we do have quite a bit for you we have nba we might have to talk about at the end we got the carolina panthers the win over the eagles a tremendous comeback and an upcoming game versus the baltimore ravens which is going to be pretty tough we got NFL picks, which is just going to be from me since I'm by myself today. We're going to talk a very little bit about what happened in Clemson, although we don't have to talk about it a lot. I just love this song. This is Bell Bottoms. This is the opening song for Baby Driver, my favorite movie personally. It is a great song. Anyway, we're also going to talk some other NC State non-revenue sports, as you would expect. We got notes for volleyball, cross-country women's soccer, men's soccer, men's golf, and swimming and diving. But we're going to kick it off right now. And I say we, as in me and you guys, the listeners, because we're in this together, guys. So we're going to kick that off, getting you updated on the latest and the greatest with the men's golf team. We had our last um, event or meet of the fall semester for golf. We had the Royal Oaks Intercollegiate that was at Merido Golf Club in Carlton, Texas. And like I said, Last, um, I guess, meet of the fall season. I'm blanking on the word for a golf meet. Anyway, so we have, were one of eight teams in this uh, very, very loaded field, including the national defending national champion, the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Would not have thought Oklahoma State would be a power in golf, but you learn something new every day. We did finish second ahead of sixth-ranked SMU by four shots. So that was a really good showing. We had three of our uh, players finish in the top 20 of a 75-member individual field. So the top five finishers for NC State golf finished at fifth. Stephen Franken shot 209 for the tournament, tied for 12th. Benjamin Ship, you know it's all about them, Benjamins. Oh, was seven shots behind, and he shot 216. Tied for 18th was Harrison Rhodes with 218. Tied for 26th was Easton Paxton with a 220 and tied for 57th, Christian Salzer with a 231. So that all helped NC State finish second. Um, when I tell you the aggregate scores in a second here, you're going to realize that that was really good because the top six out of the whole field was OK State at 13 under par. Second was NC State, 32 shots behind. We were 19 over. And the next team was SMU, 23 over Arkansas, Pepperdine, and then UNC Chapel Hill. Pepperdine finished higher than UNC Chapel Hill. I don't, I don't care the sport. That's Pepperdine. Come on, UNC Chapel Hill. You guys should be better. 
anyway, I just want to dwell on that for a second. So a great showing for the golf team, but just not quite enough to win against the defending national champion, the OK State Cowboys. Uh, moving on, the next sport, unfortunately, as the season comes to a close for men's soccer, we had our senior night last Friday. If you listen to the show, that was right after the show ended. That was hosting a, yet another ranked ACC team, the Syracuse Orange, ranked number 24 in the country, and we were ranked number 21. We ended the game with a one-to-one tie. But when I tell you what happened, you're going to feel a lot better about it. So Syracuse scored in the fifth minute. And we're up the entire game. We were, in fact, trailing one to nothing in the 90th minute when senior Tanner Roberts earned a foul at the top of the box on the top left, 19 yards away from the goal. And it's the left side as you face the goal, so right of the goal. So we had a set piece, 25 seconds left, and we put Brad Sweeney, a senior, on senior night on Dale Soccer Field, electric environment, behind the ball, and he just blasted a shot in the top right corner of the net over a five-man Syracuse wall, and that was the game-tying goal with 24 seconds left. Talk about clutch. So I guarantee you NC State felt a lot better about that tie than Syracuse did. I mean, giving up a goal with less than a minute to go, which is we had actually done against Louisville a little bit earlier in the year to actually tie a sixth-ranked Louisville club. Of course, we went on to beat number one UNC Chapel Hill, right on Dale soccer field. So that was the last home game of the season for the men's soccer team, and we did not lose at home all year. We had nine home games, six wins, zero losses, and three ties, again, against the ACC and the premier competition in men's soccer. That is a tremendous home season for NC State men's soccer, and um, they will close out the season tomorrow night at 6 o'clock at Clemson, which is pretty good at soccer as well. Worth noting, since the beginning of the 2017 season, that's with Greg Kiefer's as our coach, we are 5, 6, and 3 against opponents in the top 25. Now, you might think that sounds like mediocre, okay, but we were 7, 30, and 7 in the seven years prior to Greg Kiefer's um, coming to NC State. So, the men's program is headed in a fantastic direction, and we will see where we're going to end up because we're going to qualify for the NCAA tournament. This team is good enough to um, qualify for the tournament. And if we host a game, we can beat anyone, as you know. So uh, last game of the year is tomorrow night at Clemson at 6 o'clock. You can watch that on the ACC Network Extra if you have that. Moving on to another non-revenue sport, swimming and diving started up, um, swimming and diving started up a couple weeks ago. Let me start over there. Um, we had a win over South Carolina by a lot because it's South Carolina and we're NC State and we're amazing at swimming and diving, which we will show you how we are. You'll see for the rest of the season. Andreas Vazios, uh, who hails from Greece, the country, it was the ACC Male Swimmer of the Week. And actually, he wasn't the only NC State swimmer to receive accolades in the time between the South Carolina and the Duke meet because six, count them, six swimmers on NC State's team and one former swimmer were named to the United States uh, College Games national team. So that would be kind of like the Olympics, but only for college students. Elise Hahn, Kylie Perry, Justin Ress, Michaela Sargent, Coleman Stewart, and of course NC State alumni, distance, just amazingness, Hannah Moore. She's just awesome at distance swimming. And they will all be competing in Italy from July 4th through 10th 
in 2019. So that is next summer. So they're already deciding that. And they selected six NC State current and former swimmers, which is a testament to how good this program is. So the one meet that happened that uh, since our last show, we had a dual meet, men's and women's, at Duke. And uh, Duke's swimming team is not as good. Their dive program is very, very good. They had a couple of Olympians, um, either the last Olympics or the one before that. Anyway, both the men's and women's team for NC State came away with a win um, against Duke. The women were ranked 11th, and they set six pool records in beating numbers 22nd ranked Duke 196 to 104. And the number four men's team beat the Duke men's team 198 to 102. So a very, very convincing win. And NC State swimmers swept nine events across the men and women. Both uh, Wolfpack squads improved to 2 0 on the season and 1 0 in the conference with the wins, that one being against Duke. Um, for the relays, we broke the pool record in the women's 200 yard medley relay with Elise Hahn, Anna Shoemate, Ciara Rowe, and Kylie Perry teamed up to touch the wall at 1 minute 39.41 seconds for a fourth place finish. In case you don't know anything about swimming, my analysis is that is very fast. It's a pool record. They went on to notch another pool record. In the 200 freestyle relay with Han, Kylie, Allens, Rowe, and uh, Perry finished in 130.88. The men on their side, uh, Coleman Stewart, Daniel Graber, Giovanni Izzo, and Justin Ress picked up the medley victory in, um, that's the 200, in 127.4. Jacob Molisek, Cole, uh, Kobe Garcia, Noah Hensley, and Ress won the 200 freestyle in 119. Point ninety one. That was all for the relays. For the individual performances, Michaela Sargent had three individual wins as Wolfpack's leading score, women's leading scorer. After picking up two first place finishes in last week's season opener, the junior opened her meet by dropping her time in the two hundred yard butterfly, touching the wall in one fifty eight point eighteen. She earned her second five hundred freestyle win of the season in four fifty point fifty eight, and went on to have a pool record in the four hundred individual melee uh, medley, not melee. It's an interesting video game. Anyway, 411.64, and that's the second fastest time in the nation right now. Of course, the season is early, and that is an NCAA B cut. Sophie Hansen remains unbeaten in the individual breaststroke events through the first two weeks of the season, and she had another sweep in the meet against the Blue Devils. She won the 100-yard breaststroke in 101.4, which is a pool record, and won the 200-yard breaststroke in 214.45. So... NC State's natatorium has all the records up on this pretty cool billboard, like pool, school, conference, and national records for men's and women's. So if you go in Duke's natatorium, they probably have quite a bit of NC State records on their pool record board. Uh, Kylie Perry also picked up a uh, pair of individual wins, setting pool records in both the 50-yard and 100-yard freestyle with times of 22.35 and 48.99. 22 seconds for a 100-yard free for a 50-yard freestyle. That is insane. On the men's side, uh Jack McIntyre was the leading scorer for the pack. He picked up 1000-yard freestyle wins in both of his outings this season, taking first against Duke with a time of 9 minutes 13 seconds point 84 and also won the 400-yard individual medley in 4 minutes point 99 seconds. Jacob Molisak earned his first win of the season as he opened his outing by taking first place in the 200-yard freestyle with a time of 137.15. He also went on to win the 100-yard freestyle with a time of 
44.18. Niles Korstangi continued to prove himself as one of the nation's fastest swimmers in the early stage of his career. He's a freshman. He picked up a win in the 50-yard freestyle with a time of 19.9. In case you don't follow swimming, sub-20 50-yard freestyle is very, very good and very, very fast, and it's not a lot of swimmers can do that. Uh, swimming the 100-yard butterfly for the first time this season, Giovanni Izzo had a B-cut standard with 47.69 for the win. Coleman Stewart had a B-cut time in the 100-yard backstroke. He is also the defending NCAA champion in the 100-yard backstroke, and he had a time of 46.26, which is only like a second and a half off of his time that won him the national championship. Uh, and as if you listen to the show regularly, you know, John um, swam in high school and he knows quite a bit more about swimming than I do. But I do know that these times will get faster as the season goes on, as the teams have a chance to, you know, practice and get in shape. And swimming is just one of those sports that um, my sister swims and she's really good. You miss one day of swimming and you lose time. Like these swimmers work their butts off all year. They're at the pool at 5 a.m. You know, they don't get like the recognition that like say the football team or the basketball team gets when they have success. The men's teams finished fourth in the nation in the last three years, won five, uh, four straight ACC championships, and the women's team won the ACC championship two years ago, and not a lot of people know, but these athletes work tremendously hard, and that's part of what we do on Pax Life Sports Show is we talk about it so they get that recognition. For diving, Madeline Klein earned a pair of third-place finishes on boards, notching the best marks of the season on each her one-meter score was 266.18, and her three-meter was 285.68, uh, and that is an NCAA zone qualifying mark. For the men on diving, James Brady had both had third place in both diving events. He had a season-best 319.8 on the one-meter board and tallied a 331.73 on the three-meter board. Up next for NC State swimming and diving, they will send a select num- members of the team to compete in the inaugural ACC Big Ten Challenge, which is slated for the weekend of November 10th and 11th. So this is not going to work. It's almost like, it's not going to work like you would, like the Big Ten or ACC Challenge works in like most other sports where the two conferences just schedule games against each other and see which conference comes out with a better record. They are going to, it's more like, if you think about like an all-star game with NBA all-star games, certain teams will send, well, it's different. It's the same in that the ACC will all have one team made up of athletes from all the different schools against the Big Ten's best swimmers. So it's kind of like an all-star game. And, of course, when you have the best swimmers representing your conference, you have to have the best coach, which is NC State's own, Braden Holloway, and he will be coaching the men's team in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. That's everything for swimming and diving. Moving on to another sport here at NC State. We have women's soccer, so we did not have that great of a week. We uh, went, had our last home game, and we fell to Louisville 2-1. to one. We were down 2 to nothing most of that match, but Courtney Walker scored in the 66th minute to pull us within one off of a through ball from Ciara King and pass from Ricky Walkling. So... A disappointing uh, finish there, but still a good showing. Uh, that dropped our record to 10-5-3, and 3-4-2 in the ACC. Uh, I saw last night we did also lose at 11th-ranked Virginia 2-1 with a goal from C.R. King, so that brings our record to 
six and three, three, five and two in the ACC. Um, we will see if that is good enough to qualify for a postseason tournament for the women's soccer program. Moving on, we have a quick note about cross country, and that is the ACC championships are starting up today, and they are hosted by Boston College. The women's have won three straight ACC championships, and they look to win. Well, they've won two straight. They're looking to win three straight, and the men can do can finish better than they did last year, and they had a very respectable third place finish at the ACC last year. Moving on, volleyball. We lost to Syracuse 3-1 to in our only game um, in the week since our last show. But positive out of that, freshman outside hitter Jada Parchment turned in the best match of her career as she had 20 kills. So NC State falls to 10-10 and on the year and 4-6 and in ACC play. So that's all I have for you in the non-revenue sports. So we are going to take a quick song break with a song selected by um, my friend Kate. And uh, this is called Get Me Golden. Be right back on 88.1 WKNC. Packers Live Sports Show coming at you live from the WKNC studios on this not-so-beautiful Friday afternoon. That was Get Me Golden, as selected by my good friend Cade Pace. Now, you may have thought to yourself, man, that song sounded pretty cool, because it did. I actually really like that song. So thank you, Cade, for that. And you might want to see Cade Pace perform tonight or me, or any of the other seven people that are going to be in as a public service announcement, I'm informing you of a free improv comedy show that's going to be on campus at 7 o'clock in Thompson Hall in University Theater. I'm going to be the host of it. You guys are very familiar with me as a host, so if you're not doing anything tonight, come see a free show. And if you're a huge fan of this show, I'll, uh, I'll sign something. You can have an autograph. So when I'm rich and famous, you can say you got something autographed by me. You don't have to do that, though. That's, yeah, that would not be very good, actually. I would not want an autograph by me if I were you. But, hey, you do you, man. Anyway, so as we come back from the break from non-revenue sports, let's jump in with the rest of what you guys know we talk about on today's show. Let's open it up. Open the floor to myself to talk about what happened in Clemson. It wasn't good, guys. You guys are aware of this. I don't have to tell you about what happened because it was bad. We all watched, and it was Clemson just dismantled us. We needed to be perfect, and we were far from it. We could not get stops on defense. We did a decent job for parts of the game stopping the run and forcing their young quarterback to throw the ball um, before he wanted to, and he was not accurate on a consistent basis to throw the ball down the field, but everyone was open every time he did, so eventually he hit one, which was the first touchdown. Honestly, if Kelvin Harmon catches that first pass when we were down, I think it was either 10-0 or 7-0, and potentially gets a touchdown, I think we see a different game. After he dropped that pass, it was all Clemson, and Ryan Finley was being sacked on a consistent basis for the first time this year. And, you know, they were just a better football team, and they played better football than we did, and they came out with a win. 
Small victory for us. We're still in the top 25, so people are realizing that that's Clemson and they're a dang good football team. So we are still in the top 25, so we still have a shot for, I guess, the national championship. No, no, we don't. It's fine. We could win the rest of our games and we would not because Clemson would get in the ACC championship in the unless Clemson lost a couple times. So now that we've lost to Clemson, we need them to lose more. But honestly, no realistic fan was expecting a national championship. I, of course, was wrong about the game. I really did believe we had a, a good shot to win it. Um, we just didn't play up to our potential. I think if that was in Carter-Finley, I think it might be a different football game. But again, what happened, happened. There's nothing we can do about it now. And you've probably heard all about it on other sports shows. So no need to harp on that. We do have a game coming up versus Syracuse, which is nothing to sneeze at. They did have a hard time beating UNC, which is very good for us because UNC is very bad at football. So that's good for us. It's not Clemson. That's good for us. So hopefully a Syracuse team that they're having some quarterback um, back and forth. So we might see multiple quarterbacks, but hey, it's like like the saying goes, if you got two quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterbacks. And hopefully we can take advantage of the Orange in that respect. Uh, basketball season is coming up. I'm super excited for that, but we're going to wait till next week when John is back where we can preview that more in depth. That was football. I'm not liking this next part as much as I used to. But NFL picks, I'm not doing so hot. Um, John's not here, so he's not getting he's not getting picks this week. But I went one and one last week. I'm four and seven on the year, guys. I just don't know what to do, guys. I just can't get it right. I mean, I was one yard away. To be fair, one yard away when I picked the Bears to beat the Patriots. They would have went to overtime. Let's say the Bears win that coin toss. Like we, might, I might be talking about two and zero right now. This is a, a season changer for me, guys. Anyway, picks this week just to get it out of the way so you, so I can say I was right. I'm going to say the Browns are going to beat the Steelers. They tied him before with Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor, however you say it, with him at quarterback. Now they have Baker. So they're going to be great, and uh, they're going to beat the Steelers. That's my pick for me. Lock of the week. Uh, by the way, that was upset. Lock of the week. Guarantee. Patriots over Bills. I don't know if I've ever been more comfortable about a lock of the week, although I was pretty dang comfortable about picking the Rams over the 49ers last week. So upset, Browns over Steelers, lock, Patriots over Bills. This will be the week, guys. This will be the week we go 2-0, and we will see. Moving on, you guys know uh, on the show and me personally, I mean, huge Panthers fan. Panthers are my favorite football team, and I love watching them. And the game Sunday for... The first two and a half hours or or so of watching it was terrible. I am a very loyal fan in that I watch us no matter how bad we are. I became a Panthers fan during the year we went 2-14 with Jimmy Clausen and Brian St. Pierre playing quarterback and Matt Moore at the beginning of that season. So I'm a person that I watch the preseason games if I can. So I never consider changing the channel. But I considered changing the channel. We weren't doing anything on offense, and Cam Newton didn't have time to throw down the field. He wasn't being terribly accurate when he was throwing down the field, and he was hitting receivers in the hands, and it was being dropped. Typical Panthers football. But what was most frustrating was seeing what the offense and Carson Wentz was doing to our defense. Carson Wentz was just slicing us up like a professional chef on one of those restaurants where they like chop up and cook your food right in front of you. That's what um that's what Carson Wentz was doing with the Panthers defense 
in front of me on that on on TV there on Fox. And it was just really disheartening to see, but I did not change the channel because our defense did play well enough that we weren't down by a lot. It was only 17 points in the fourth quarter, the largest win, comeback win in team history. So no biggie there. I do think Cam Newton, and deservably so, gets a lot of credit for that. But I will say the defense did good enough down the stretch. There was a third down where uh, if Philly had gotten it, they could have run out the clock, and we got the stop there and gave our quarterback a chance to go down and win the game. And even after that, we did it so quickly that Philly had enough time. And, um, you know, fourth down, strip sacking the quarterback, That's they're not going to pick up a first down if you strip the ball. So the defense had zero pass rush the entire game until those last few drives when we really needed a pass rush. And then this might be cliche, but this defense lives and dies on the pass rush. And I'm saying this only because I think it is more so. It is magnified with this Panthers defense versus other defense. This looks like a completely different unit. We can, we can get at least a little bit of pressure on the quarterback when we don't have to blitz. Because Luke Keekley is one of the greatest defensive players to ever play the game. And... His, his only weakness, if you can call it that, is his pass rushing ability. He doesn't tend to, to you know fight through blockers as well as some other linebackers, even Thomas Davis. Getting Thomas Davis back from suspension was really, obviously, really, really good for this defense, not just on a football standpoint, but non-football, just what Thomas Davis brings to the table. That was huge, but um, we've had him back for a couple games. But when we needed stops, we got stops. And Mario Addison, Addison we missed him in that first half when he was out, and you know he comes back. The first play he's back, he's getting a hit on the quarterback or a sack. I forget which, but that's a difference maker on defense. Julius Peppers is, you know, we're, we're, you shouldn't expect him to be what he was, but he just somehow seems to surprise you every week with coming through and when, when you need him most. So great win over the Eagles. We are very, very close to being two and four. If Gano misses that kick and we just don't get bailed out by a great, great fourth quarter comeback. We might be two and four. So it might be a little bit of false confidence for Panthers fans. And I am one of, I'm a very optimistic fan, but this team may, this team definitely has some issues and we're just not talking about it because they're winning. And one of the things is we're not throwing the football down the field, which is helping Cam Newton's completion percentage, which makes the haters happy for some reason, people that don't like Cam Newton. Oh man, he has like a 58% career completion percentage. Yeah. And because we had Mike Shula as an offensive coordinator and the man couldn't coordinate a frog jumping competition. I mean, come on. Like, we're throwing down the field all the time. He's having He was asked to do different things than other quarterbacks. He's not Alex Smithing it up in here. By the way, Alex Smith is played a lot better. I'm just using it as an example of a guy who went through his career dinking and dunking. I like the dink and dunk that Carolina is doing with Christian McCaffrey, Curtis Samuels, DJ Moore. You know, I really like where we're going with it. And now we have Greg Olson back. And as you guys know, that is huge because when Cam Newton needs a first down, Greg Olson is the guy he looks at. Another guy he looks at is Torrey Smith, as you saw with a very, very clutch game-saving fourth down, being pulled down by a defensive end and throwing the ball to Torrey Smith to get that fourth down completion. Save the game for us. So Torrey Smith is out this week versus the Ravens, so we are going to miss him for that you know the veteran presence on the field. So I would look for Jar- uh, Jarius Wright to probably have a bigger game, maybe four or five receptions and 60 or 70 yards because I think Cam Newton may not trust his young wide receivers as much. 
who needs to get more touches is Curtis Samuel. Only good things have happened when Curtis Samuel has the ball in his hands. He had no right scoring that end around rushing touchdown. End arounds are not supposed to score in the NFL because of the defenses there. And he ended up scoring it. And it, he didn't. He had one blocker, three defenders, and he finessed his way into the end zone untouched. So we need that man to get the ball some more. DJ Moore is a work in progress, but I really like what I've seen so far. And so with Torrey Smith out versus a very, very good Ravens defense, the top pass defense in the NFL, we're really going to need to see the ball spread around to those guys as well as Greg Olson and maybe not call screen plays to Chris Manhurts. Nothing against the guy, but like we have so many other players that we could call screens to. Even like we, we, call, we had a screen for C.J. Anderson that scored because everyone went for Christian McCaffrey. So we need the ball to be spread out like, like we've been doing, but just throw down the field a little bit more. Another reason we might have not been doing that is because the offensive line has been struggling to hold up for in stretches, in stretches. They've played very well in stretches, but aren't, they're injured, and um, we really don't want Cam Newton to take a lot of sacks because we're trying to throw it deep downfield. So I understand why we're uh, throwing a lot of shorter routes, but I'd like to see some down-the-field stuff, and I don't know if we'll end up seeing that versus a very, very, very good Ravens defense. You know me, I think the Panthers are going to win. I think when you have a good quarterback as Cam Newton and a a defense that is not terrible, so our defense has been good in spots and really good in other spots this year, I think we always have a chance to win any game that we go into. And I think ultimately we are a good football team because good football teams win games that they shouldn't, like the Giants game, probably the Philly game. Those are a couple games we really didn't have any business winning, but we did anyway. So that's what good teams do, like the Patriots beating the Bears and not making me go 2-0 in my picks. Man, oh man. Well, what else do we got? Oh, we got the Hornets. When I said they'd win 35 games this year. Every year I go in as a Hornets fan being very, very optimistic, and I'm always let down, so I decided a different approach this year. And we're 2-3 and three on the year. You know, a uh, couple of very close losses. We opened the season with a one- or two-point loss to Miami. We lost by two to Chicago the other night, and the other loss was by a lot to the Toronto Raptors, which have turned out to be a very good basketball team. Like John had said, although no one said they wouldn't be good, I still think ultimately the Celtics, even though they're three and two right now, will be the number one seed in the East. But it's definitely going to come down to the uh, Celtics and Raptors. A couple surprises: the Bucks and Pistons are both four and zero in the NBA. So that's surprising to see. Right now, we're ninth in the conference, so we're just going to be what we are every year—a borderline playoff team. Either we're barely in, get knocked out in the first round, or we barely miss it. And we just seem to be in the NBA hell where we're not going to get um, really good players because we're not drafting high enough. I really do like what I've seen from Miles Bridges and Malik Monk this year, as well as a couple of young guys. You know, John will talk for days about you know how bad Nick Batum is. I don't see it that bad, but I didn't watch him in Portland either. We're starting to play uh, Michael K. Gilchrist at center, which has been really interesting in the times that, from what I've read, the times that he's been playing center, we've had a very good plus-minus and a very good rating overall statistically. Again, limited sample size, but I was reading an article before the show about how we may have found our version of Draymond Green, which can't hurt. I mean, I'd love an on-court Draymond Green minus the off-court Draymond Green. Well, not always on-court. I wish he wouldn't kick people. But like other than that, I really like what Draymond Green as a basketball player. So having MKG, you know, fine. He was the number two overall pick seven years ago, and he's never really 
um, materialized into that kind of talent. But he's been a very good defender for us, very good rebounder. So maybe him playing more in the post under the new coach, we'll see some improvement from here. Well, that's all I have for you today, guys. Um, hope you enjoyed the show. Hopefully John will be back um, next week. I'm going to peace out, get ready for that uh, improv show since i got to host that, and just hope that this weather is doesn't continue to be raining and cold. This is awful. Although that song was, I don't know, Get Me Golden was very, very nice. I, I appreciated that song a lot. So thank you for listening and taking time out of your day. I really do appreciate it. I mean, without the listeners, there'd really be no point. Side note, in my uh, one of my classes, I was learning about radio history, and that ish is really, really interesting. You guys should uh, look some of that up. Early days of radio when you know when there wasn't the FCC and all that kind of stuff, and just everyone was buying radios. Like uh, radio operators from World War One were coming home from the war and starting um, radios in their garages, and people would stay up at night just listen to the radio and see who they could hear. Oh, it was it was just really cool. Sorry to get all nerd on you there. I'll just nerd my way right out of here. But thank you guys for listening so much. We'll be back next week on Packers Life Sports Show. This has been Packers Life Sports Show. I'm Benjamin Denton. Bye, y'all.